your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. Gloomy Friday, but Bernie's in town. Bernie is in town. And you're not there. I'm not. I'm sorry. I, I feel I feel like I'm preventing you from being at Bernie. Bernie is making the rounds in Wisconsin trying to get that youth vote out. The youth vote is notoriously difficult to mobilize in midterm elections. So what do you do? Bring an old man from Vermont. I was just into... say that. We're going to bring an 80. I think he's 82 <laughs> or 81 right? years. No, he might be. I think. Well, how old's Biden? Biden is a little younger than Bernie, or they're about the same Bernie's, age, I think. So Bernie's Bernie 81. is 81. Oh, Biden's 79. Biden's 79. That's right. That's what I thought. Yeah, that honestly makes Bernie's appeal with younger people a bit more puzzling because he's 81. But still, the young people love him, especially the young Democrats. And so they're really excited about having him on the UW Lacrosse campus. And the youth vote is just notoriously difficult to mobilize in midterm elections, Rick. Older folks like us, the old folks out there, they vote consistently. They vote consistently from election to election. The rates of voting among older folks do not fluctuate dramatically from election to election. The rates of voting among younger people fluctuate dramatically from election to election. So this is all about turning out the vote. Can we just do a show from 2015? Can we do if You're here. It's 2015. <laughs> Bernie Sanders is running for president. Did you at that time... Where were you in 2015? You were, I would have been a doctoral student at UNC Chapel Hill. But were you a political? Were you a political junkie, as Ron Kahn calls? Yep, I, I was okay. also a political junkie, like you. Okay, so North Carolina. So I don't know. Okay, nothing to do with Bernie there. But Bernie comes onto the scene for me. I I started listening. I was like, who is this guy? What is? And I didn't really care what he looks like or what you know, like old man talking. But he was saying stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is messed up. This I don't remember anything in particular, but. Um, as somebody who is, you know, studying political science at the time, maybe maybe you were getting taught lessons or maybe your political science teachers were like, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> Rick, it's, it's really interesting. A lot of younger folks at North Carolina were really drawn to Donald Trump and a lot of younger folks were really drawn to Bernie Sanders. I think the younger voter is just like someone who's different and you know, say what you want about Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, but they were very different from Hillary Clinton and the cast of thousands in the Republican Party race for the nomination, like Marco Rubio and John Kasich and Ted Cruz. So I think younger people just like something that was different. And so it actually is the case that younger folks did like Donald Trump, especially on the mm. Republican side, just as those on the Democratic side really like Bernie Sanders. All right, we'll go to the phones. WIZM, this is Rick. Who's this? Jeff Ettinger calling? Oh, this is Jeff Ettinger. He's calling early, I think, or I missed I the time. I am early. Yeah, so that's, that's not going to work. That's all right. But our the rally thing that we're involved with is delayed, so I, I won't get to you before 6 if we wait for that. Oh, definitely. Jeff, we're on the air right now, so you're literally on Very live good. radio. Jeff Ettinger, is, and you were going to come on in a couple of minutes. We're going to do this now. Jeff Ettinger is running for the U.S. House of Representatives in my district, Jeff, I'll just bring that up. You're in my district, the Minnesota 1st Congressional District. Um, in here with me is political science professor Dr. Anthony Jagoski. But uh, how, how have the rounds been? Have you been making the rounds across? Do you have the whole state to cover, the whole southeast side of Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, our district runs from South Dakota to Wisconsin and then up the river. We're in Winona right at the moment. It goes up to Red Wing now with the new redistricts as well. And Today was a get-out-the-vote rally that the DFL sponsored. And so we had Jamie Harrison in from South Carolina. Senator Klobuchar was with us, and then all the state candidates. And 
we've hit Mankato, Austin, Rochester so far, and then we're here in Winona for the last stop. All right, so everybody, the, the big the big thing right now for, I think, everybody asking politicians, and I'll just do it, it's no, no surprises here, inflation seems to be the biggest problem, the price of my Mountain Dew and Oreo cookies, all my vices, <laughs> I'll just bring up the price of Halloween candy, even when it goes on sale the day after Halloween is still kind of expensive, Jeff. Uh, do you have... You know, do you have you know former former CEO at Hormel? Uh, do you have any advice or do, what would you bring to Congress in terms of like combating this? Sure. No, as you pointed out from my business background, I certainly am familiar with with managing costs and creating jobs. But it's it's a it's a mixed economy. We have very low unemployment. Minnesota leads the state actually in terms of the lowest unemployment rate, but inflation is way too high. Uh, I put out a 10-point plan way back in, in June, early parts of the campaign, that talked about things like a couple of them have already happened with uh, releasing the strategic oil reserves and going with E15 year-round. And then the Inflation Reduction Act hit a couple more, uh, finally allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drug costs and setting caps for seniors for insulin, and also creating some incentives on the green energy side that I think in the long run will give us give us more options there. Ultimately, I think if we could manufacture more things locally, we'd be less susceptible to some of these supply chain challenges as well. So that's another angle. Um, I, I believe I'm not sure if Owatonna is in your district, but there's somewhere sure there's is. there's a giant wind farm somewhere, and I think it's by Owatonna. Do we just need more things like that? Maybe solar farms, and that would just I always say, hey, if we had the infrastructure like that, the energy would be free because they, we haven't capital we haven't put capitalism on the sun yet. Now, the inflation reduction I had really the historic climate provisions that turn loose some of the manufacturers in the wind and solar area to do a better job, allowed some of our rural co-ops to become direct participants in it, and allowed all of us as potential homeowners or car owners or farmers who could take advantage with some of these incentives. You know, we need all, all different energy sources. It's not going to get changed overnight. Having those kind of smart incentives in place will definitely send us in the right direction. All right, you're you're not going to like this, but the CEO. Well, you might have liked this. The CEO to worker pay ratio in 1965 was 20 to one. In 1995, it was 121 to one, and now it's 399 to one. The CEO to worker pay ratio. Uh, I feel like that's a problem. I mean, there's no question that we need middle class workers to gain more on the wage side, to gain more on the benefit side. You know, I was with, involved with Hormel Foods, and we still had a traditional pension program. We had full health care coverage. We had stock option grants for all employees. But, that, you know, maybe we're a little bit more of the exception in that regard. And, and so no question that it, it already was a gap, and this recent inflation has, has made it even more challenging for people. Now, I know you retired from there. You said had. Does that company still have that stuff? Yes, my, my understanding is they still have it. I, I haven't been actively... Uh, involved with the company for almost six years, but my understanding is those are all in place still. Okay, so as a member of, of the House, is there a way to to incentivize other companies to do this? No, I think that would be a, a smart idea. I think the idea of, of making everybody more ownership-oriented. Um, I, I'm in favor of the PRO Act, which, which unions have been advocating for uh, in terms of making sure that we have fair elections and, and even competitions on that. So, no, I think that would be a good idea. And Jeff, I know you called early. I don't know how long I have you. How, when do you have to hang up here? Like a couple more minutes. Okay, if that works for you. Um, all right. So I, I got my CEO to, to worker ratio thing out of the way. I always got to bring that up. But uh, when we talk about um, just incentivizing, uh, you know, other ways, is there, there a lot of things that the House 
No, the, a lot of things that the federal government passed have gone away. Uh, helping with childcare, helping with uh, free school lunches, um, how, and, and Republicans have voted against this stuff. So we gotta we gotta figure out a, a communication with the other side to to come together in the middle. Do you have a plan to just kind of like to to get? Republicans and Democrats to meet in the middle to pass some of the stuff that will help people get out of the, you know, the inflation mess that we're in now? Sure. Um, so I've been chatting with Dean Phillips from the cities, and he's part of a group in Congress called the Problem Solvers Caucus. It's an even number of Democrats and Republicans, and that's the type of group I definitely would like to be involved with. Uh, you know, where I would start is in trying to find ways to create more opportunities. I mean, you travel through the district, and we have a shortage of nurses. We have a shortage of mental health professionals. We have a shortage of plumbers and electricians. And so if there are people who are interested in these professions and the impediment is cost, whether it's community college or, or even some high school tech programs, we need to be, to me, that's where we should start is investing in those kind of programs. They also could be valuable for allowing more of our young people to stay in the southern Minnesota area if that's what they choose to do. All right, that's Jeff Edinger. He's running for the U.S. House of Representatives in Minnesota's 1st Congressional District. You're leaving Winona right now? Is that, the, is that what I heard? I sure am. All right, are you going to stop at, like, boobs or anything like that downtown? <laughs> I don't know which spot. Wait, we have a route, the last rally spot here, and then after that we're actually going over to the campus and kicking off a dorm rally for the Winona State students. I don't want to get you in trouble. It's 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 pronounced boobs, but it's B-U-B-S, and it's just a like right. an eat, eat joint. So you, it's not like I asked you to, if you're going to All a strip right. joint. <laughs> no, good to know. Thank you. All right, Jeff. Thanks, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on. All right, uh, that was Jeff Edinger. All right, Trigoski, any takes from from that? Yeah, it, it's a tough race for Jeff Edinger because this is a district that has been trending Republican. It is widely expected to remain in the Republican camp. But the special election was closer than people anticipated. So that opened the way for Jeff Edinger to have some momentum on the Democratic side going into this general election. It seems very likely that the Republicans will hold this district. This is the district that the Democratic governor, Tim Walls, held for years. It seems like a district that could go Democratic under the right circumstances and with the right candidates. We'll just have to see how Edinger turns out in this election. If he's close, if he keeps it close, if he continues to overperform like he did in the special election, then that could set up a very competitive race in 2024. The Democrats could give this seat a real shot, even if they don't manage to win it this year. I, I had Finstead on two days ago. And a lot of, you know, kind of the same talking conversation, just inflation. What do you want to do? A lot of his a lot of his talking points were he just he threw out the term America first. We need America first policies. We need America, you know, which is essentially, I think, a a tag, you know, just a, a catchphrase to say we need to make stuff in America. But see, this is where Republicans say America first. And you kind of don't really know what it what what it means. And then Edinger comes on and he says, this is, you know, we had this, we had this. Like, there's there's a little bit more nitty-gritty there. It's a really interesting issue, Rick, because we've seen this in Tim Michaels' campaign. Tim Michaels, I was talking to a reporter today about how Tim Michaels has been lacking in specifics in the race for governor of Wisconsin. In the debate, in interactions with reporters, the very few interactions he's had with reporters, he, he doesn't really go into specifics about policy details. Molly Beck of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel was telling me how she sent 
like 16 questions about K-12 education and got like a few sentences quote in return. Oh, so he did reply. He unlike, did. Re- he did reply. He did uh, reply. Unlike some. Unlike some. Unlike Lauren Olderberg in the assembly district just south and e- uh, east of here, uh, he didn't reply to our wisdom questionnaire. Wisdom questionnaire at the uh, wisdomnews.com. Just hit the pull down menu and hit elections. I got to cut you off, Trigoski, because we, we, we got to do the news. We'll be back. You know the words here. <laughs> That's all I could think of. It sounds well, that was that might have been my boss, the boss, who's that uh Rick's not Rick Springfield. I can't even think of anybody. I don't know it's famous people's names. You too, Chergoski uh what did, were you watching a YouTube doc? What were you doing? I was watching one of the evening news broadcasts and Bono was on there oh. being interviewed and I'm like, Oh yeah, you too. Uh the evening news where we get our Opinions from Bono. It's exactly, funny. exactly. Uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about inflation. Let's bring on Papa Murphy's Pizza Guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that would be a actually Papa Murphy's Pizza Guy would be a good guy to talk to because he owns Papa Murphy's. He probably knows more about inflation than anybody because he's got to deal with the pe- cost of pepperoni and paying his workers. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski in here. The whole time we've been doing shows. So we go to break, we're doing show, we're doing, and I'm trying to decide which show I want to do because I start out talking about Bernie because he's literally in town, this phenomenon that started in 2015 where this old white guy essentially uh, captures a nation. He runs for president and he's he's legitimately going to win the nomination. Like it was pretty close. He was. It was a sign of trouble for Hillary Clinton that he was so close to defeating her for the nomination. It showed a sign of weakness for Hillary Clinton. Let's not, let's not do it. Let's not. Let's. I don't want to talk about it then because we we know Hillary couldn't buy. Yeah. But he's still a phenomenon. You said as is. you were coming in here, you said a lot of your college students were pretty pumped up. I don't know. But is there is there an alt? To this, a, a, a right wing person that comes to campus and your, your college students are pretty pumped up to see. I don't I don't I don't know. There are some commentators out there, some social media personalities who get the young Republicans really fired up, like someone named Ben Shapiro, if you kind oh, of yeah. heard of him. Yeah, he's really popular among young Republicans because he's sort of this firebrand. He's a tell it like it is kind of guy. He's not politically correct. And I think that appeals to young Republicans. I think. For the same reason, Donald Trump does appeal to many young Republicans. So what I found, Rick, is that young Republicans have been really drawn to Donald Trump, just as young Democrats have really been drawn to Bernie Sanders. They I, just like something different. I don't know why I always forget, like, hello, Donald Trump. <laughs> like, he yeah. is the alt-Bernie Sanders. And, uh, Donald in many Trump ways, is a, he is. And Donald Trump, you know, he came to the lacrosse center while he was campaigning in, in 2015, uh, a lot of people went to that. Bernie Sanders campaigned at the Omni Center in Alaska. Yep. I remember 5,000 people came to that. Uh, Kent's calling in. Kent, real quick, go ahead. Kent. Hey, Rick, how you, how you doing? Hey, hey, good. We're good. Hey, uh, Dr. Chikowski, how's your daughter doing? She's doing great, Kent. She just turned six months old, and Dad is getting better and better at making her laugh. <laughs> All you got to do is tickle her cheek or give her a... Uh... A little bit of ice cream. Yeah, see, I have such a hard time entertaining Rick. It's so much better that I can easily entertain my daughter. Oh, my God. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that someday it'll be the Dr. Schakowsky show instead of the Rick show. But that that's another day. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to ask you guys, too. You know, um, Bernie Sanders was in town. You know, I've done my homework on socialism and other 
other things, whether it's Democrat or Republican, but he actually, when he was married, he had his honeymoon in Russia, and it seems like he's bringing the socialism Russia thing in our society, and he's always been that way. He's 82 years old. He did this when he was in his 20s. Have you ever been you to know, Russia? I, I just... I thought I'd get your take on it, Doc. All right. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Chicago. No, I, I think Kent makes an interesting point, actually a thought-provoking point. How much of Bernie's appeal among young people is related to his ideology? We know that Bernie has a very well, intense ideology. Not as good looks. It's not as good Although looks. it is his looks a little bit because there's that meme of him with the mittens on. Exactly, and exactly. Actually, the UWL college Democrats have a cardboard cutout of the meme with him sitting in the chair, and they're going to try to get him to sign that today. Yeah, so we'll see if that absolutely. works. But, but, Rick, you know, to Ken's point, I don't know how much of Bernie Sanders' appeal among young folks is that he has a very intense ideology versus the fact that he's just different. I'm honestly not sure. Like, do young people like, especially young Democrats, like the fact that he is more intense in his ideology than other Democrats? Or do they just like the fact that he's different, that he's anti-establishment, that he's a fight-the-power kind of person? I'm not a young person, but my my politics are young. Mm -hmm. I I would say that, you know, when Bernie came around, I I was probably not political at all. I was in here call screening for Mitch. And, and working on my fantasy football team uh, on the computer over there in that cubby. But he was saying stuff that when when I bring up the CEO to worker pay gap, that's from Bernie. Like, I hear that stuff. And then uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, that is a that is an issue, I think, when the CEO to worker pay gap goes from 20 to 1 to, what was it, 399? I got it wrote down here. Yeah. Uh, 399 to 1, the worker. So that, and that's, these are things that Bernie is talking about. The, the billionaire class and over a pandemic, we watched the billionaire class rake in more billions, at, you know, the 1%. So, I mean, those are the things that Bernie's talking about. That is different. We don't hear a lot of politicians talking like that. Maggie Porter is a U.S. House rep in California. Go listen to Maggie Porter talk. Like, that woman is going after it, and she's inspiring. I think Bernie has influenced this upcoming generation of Democratic politicians and Democratic activists in the sense that he has them more focused on income inequality and, like you said, Rick, the CEO pay. So I think Bernie has influenced the issues that are of importance to the Democratic Party. I also just think young people, like I said, are drawn to people who are different. They don't like politics as usual. They don't want typical politicians. They want someone who's different. They want someone who is going to kind of shake things up. And, you know, it's kind of the nature of upcoming generations to rebel against the older generations. And oddly enough, supporting Bernie Sanders was almost kind of an act of rebellion against the political establishment. So I think that had a lot to do with his appeal among younger voters. And and so I think um, Bernie remains influential. I'm not sure how influential, but he remains very well liked within the Democratic Party. It is funny. The the popular people within the government are the go- people that talk about how they are anti-government to a degree. And then the, the, I mean, Derek Van Orden's kind of running on sure. this a little bit. And sure. it's just comical because it's like, oh, I'm anti-government, but I want to be Part, part of the government so but you're i'm going to destroy it from within or i'm going to rebuild it from within you know depending on on your take um i don't know it's just it's a it's a funny it, there's a problem then with the perception of government for for whatever reason if it's if there's no reason at all or if it's like conspiracy theory reasons that have you know with with the internet and social media just been able to get out there 
but they're the 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 government has a has a like a a, a problem with you know its its ability to 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 be trustful i guess i don't know a rick, image pro- image problem is what i want to call it you're absolutely right rick one of the major problems in america today is the collapse of trust in institutions institutions like religion institutions like the media institutions like business institutions like you know groups that are out there in the community institutions like the government so there's a major crisis of confidence in these key institutions within American society. And trust in government is extremely low, Rick. Trust in government has been on the decline for several decades now. It is now bottomed out at a very, very low rate. And so, you know, only about 10 to 20 percent of Americans trust the government in Washington to do what is right. So, People like Donald Trump, people like Bernie Sanders come along and take advantage of that lack of trust in government. It's no accident that Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders became popular at a time when government had very, very low trust, when people just were not willing to put their faith in the government. Well, and on the flip side, they also instill more distrust in the government by their rhetoric. And and so that that oftentimes... I don't know. I was. I want to say it's not helpful, but you know, if there is a reason to distrust the government, then there's a reason to. Um, I, I mean, I was just griping about the military budget here and doing a podcast a little while ago where we increased the military budget by fifty billion a year. Um, all right. Any last words before we go? To yeah, break? yeah, Rick. I mean, just that. That's a really important point. That even though Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders capitalize on the lack of trust in government. Their presence in politics has not increased trust in government for whatever reason. So trust in government remains really low in spite of the fact that there are these politicians out there who are trying to really tap into people's frustration with how they don't trust the government. The irony of Donald Trump talking about how you must distrust the government and then him going through four years of that and and the the lawsuits that ensue. And you're like, "Mm, maybe we should distrust the government after (laughs) you ran run amok through through it for four years. All right, we'll be back. This song, you know this one? Yeah. You did you too, I did us three. Of course. Cantaloupe. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Just kind of want to. It's going to take a while. This is uh, it's going to take a while. Well, UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski in here with me. A busy day. Chagoski is going to have to zigzag home because he's got to avoid UWL as Bernie has left the building, essentially. But now the Aquinas people are going to enter the fray because Aquinas football takes the place, uh, takes, takes the. Uh, Gridiron uh, yeah. uh, at UWL there playing in the playoffs, two wins away from getting the state. And then you have to avoid on Alaska High School because yep. they're playing two wins away to get it, getting the state. And then you have to also, not that you do, but you also have to avoid West Salem. Yes. because Or you just go to those games or you can watch the Aquinas game on the WKTY app or if you have a Roku or Apple TV around RiverCity.com. And uh, we're able to do that thanks to Firefighters Credit Union. Big day for college, uh, for high school football. It's yeah, exciting. It's, uh, it, we're getting to, to the end. We, you know, there's not a lot of times where we have this many teams left over. And I, I know you want to do a high school football show, but go over and talk with Grant if you want to do that. <laughs> well, just real quick, Rick, a plug for the UWL Eagles 7 and 1 in football. Going for a nine and one record, playing River Falls tomorrow at UWL at one p.m. Yeah, they're seven and one, and they're ranked here. Let me see, they're ranked number seven in the nation. It's really exciting, really exciting. And you're not a football guy, but you I will, love you, football. Oh, you do love yeah, football. Yeah, okay. it's baseball that I don't like. Nobody likes baseball. 
<laughs> um, all right, so you have these polls up here. Could we just run through these real quick? I mean, you got it. They're, uh, I, I don't know exactly how you do. We take a poll, no, the, but they're they're interesting polls in terms of we're getting to the end of the election cycle. Tuesday, obviously, go vote, everybody. Um, do, do you want? Do, should we just read the question and take the answers for what they are? Or what? Yeah, Rick. You know, there was a poll done a couple days ago asking, would you support or oppose making election day a federal holiday? Sixty-six percent of Americans said yes, they support making Election Day a federal holiday. That included 82 percent of Democrats and 59 percent of Republicans who support making Election Day a federal holiday. Do, do people not understand that we would get the day off? Well, I mean, maybe you could throw that into the poll question to get right. even more support. Would you support? Well, OK, so is this the first one? Uh, yep. Would you support making the fe- uh, election day a day off from work? Yes. That should be the question. Yes. And then it would be 99.9% say <laughs> yes. And the 0.1%, are we talking about the 0.1% again, Bernie Sanders <laughs> supporters, uh, would say no. We would have 99% would support having an extra day off, I think, except for me because I still have to do the show. All right, next one. <laughs> yeah, uh, next one. If Election Day is not a holiday, do you think employers should be required to give employees paid time off to vote? 65% of Americans think employers should be required to give employees paid time off to vote. That includes 79% of Democrats and 59% of Republicans who think employers should be required to give employees paid time off to vote. This one's interesting. I, I'm not even sure I'm all for that one because the, the, the way it works in Milwaukee is a lot different than the way it works in La Crosse. And then uh, because you might be in line to vote for a couple hours in Milwaukee. Sure. And you, I, I mean, I could run out of here and run down to the Black River Beach Center and be back in probably 13 minutes. So do I get 13 minutes of PTA, PTO there? Is that how that works? Yeah, Rick. You know, these are commonly cited as barriers to people voting. First of all, people's work schedule can be a barrier to them voting. So that's why some have proposed making Election Day a federal holiday, plus a day off from work. And then others have said, well, if we don't make it a holiday, then employers should at least be required to give employees that flexibility to go vote. But there are some details in the mix that are maybe hard to figure out because different areas have different wait times, different areas have different, you know, uh, times that you have to kind of devote to voting. So, you know, the devil is always in the details, but by and large, Americans support either making Election Day a federal holiday or requiring employers to give employees paid time off to vote. Yeah, I remember there were some races in in Georgia that the line was like 11 hours long, and then we passed rules where you couldn't give water to those people in line. Good thing we did that. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Number question, uh, Poll question number three. Which day of the week do you think is best for Election Day? 25% of Americans say Tuesday is the best day of the week for Election Day, but I think that's just because it's on a Tuesday already, and people just don't want change. The next most popular option was Saturday. 30, uh, 13% of Americans said Saturday would be the best day for Election Day. But then you don't get the day off yeah, if, you you're, if you don't work on weekends. Yeah, you don't want Saturday. You don't want it Saturday. I love that 23% you, you'll miss college football. Said, it doesn't matter. 23% doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter except you need consistency. I, I, I understand like Tuesday. Monday, you got to come. You got to come to work, and also you got to do your homework. You don't want to do your homework on Sunday. No, to who you're going to vote for. You got to go to that My Vote website right. and figure out who's on your ballot. If you're not going to do it right before you go vote, like I do, then you're going to do it on Monday because you're not going to do it on Sunday. 
So Monday can't be good. Tuesday is fine because it's like, eh, it's the second day of the week, whatever. And also, but if it's a federal holiday, it's a whole different story. What day of the wo- what day of the week should the federal holiday where everybody and and not even a federal holiday, everybody gets that day off. Monday. That, that has to be Monday. Monday. It could be a Friday, but I love Fridays. Fridays are my favorite day of the week because you go to work and you, everyone's in a good mood. Everyone's Absolutely. in a great mood on Fridays. We never should get rid of Friday as a workday week. We should get rid of Monday as a workday week. If it's a federal holiday, voting day needs to change to Monday. And then I will do some studying on who to vote for right before I go to the poll. I'm going to add two proposals to the mix, Rick, that we make Election Day a federal holiday, move Election Day to Monday, give everyone Monday off. Secondly, that we make the Monday after the Super Bowl a federal holiday. So we can enjoy the Super Bowl and take the day off the next day. So that would be like mid-February. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could do that. I was Just trying to think. Just make up some holiday that we can call it. Yeah. Or Super Bowl Saturday. We could make we Super could do Bowl that. Saturday. And then, I mean, then you don't have to. You don't have to do that. You don't have to. <laughs> we could make that a federal holiday. All right. We got to take one more break. Oscar. One, two, three. Uh, I'm going to beat the daylight savings thing to death. <laughs> the... <laughs> Ronkine came on here and he was a little snarky with me for Ronkine. Very just, you know, Ronkine's not snarky, but that was as sarcastic as, as I think maybe he'd ever get. Uh, yeah, we're going to pass daylight savings, Rick. The, we got rampant inflation and we got a budget to pass. And um, it was kind of a joke. It was like, well, just squeeze it into the omnibus deal, dude. Yeah. Put it into the big bill that has a million different elements. And the thing is, too, is like we have bigger, like bigger priorities. I understand that. But there's also a bill that will literally affect every person in every person, thing, entity in the United States. We're going to get to the entity here in a minute. But Eric from Sparta is calling in, and he's been waiting patiently on hold. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, Mr. Chikoski, uh, after the Republicans win the House of Representatives of the midterm, what is the first thing they will investigate like the J6 committee is investigating? Sir, can you tell me that? Yeah, there's a lot of investigations that the House Judiciary Committee has teed up. They're going to look into, I think, Dr. Fauci. They're going to look into Hunter Biden. They're going to look into all sorts of things. One thing that is the case nowadays is that investigations are used to generate publicity. They're used to generate... I was just going to say that. They're used to get on yeah. whatever, MSNBC or Fox News. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of the new mode of oversight in Congress, Rick. We often say that Congress has a very important oversight role. They investigate and assess the government agencies and the other branches. But really, it's just to gain publicity for the party and to try to gain an advantage for the party. So I think the investigations will be geared toward what will play well in the media and what will play well in public opinion. And that's nothing new. That's nothing new. That's just the way that Congress operates nowadays in this period of intense partisanship. Now, I had my congressman on a couple days ago, Brad Finstead. He said the way to bring the Congress together, left to right, bring Republicans and Democrats in the middle. The House never passes anything without a Republican. No Republicans vote for anything in the House right now. It's it's a little ludicrous. Uh, they're just like, eh, we're going to it's almost like black. They're blackballing any bills because they don't want to get Biden to win. But Branford said, said, hey, we could pass this daylight savings thing. He's a farmer. He doesn't even like daylight savings time. He's like, yeah, I can't wait till it's dark, perpetually dark for all of winter. Um, but NPR put out, is it WPR? WPR put out a story about daylight savings. What yes, is that? this is from WPR. The end of daylight savings time causes a 16% increase in collisions between deer and vehicles 
in the week after the time change, a new study shows. All right, so this study, and you, we don't have to get into details because I'm, I'm going I'm to thwart this study right now. My girlfriend's a hunter, so she's the hunter in the relationship. She deer hunts. Deer are in, I think it's called in rut right now. They're in mating season. Deer are out. They're out and about. They're, they're mingling. So that when we change the clocks, at the very same time we change the clocks right here, we fall back. Deer are out running around because they're. That's why hunting season. I think hunting in Minnesota literally starts this week, and it starts soon. Yep, in, my father-in-law is out for, there this for, weekend for gun hunting. I believe yep. anyway. I think other hunting has started already. So, and maybe this. I didn't read the article clearly, but maybe <laughs> they say that in the article. I'm not sure, but but there. Yeah, there's an increase in us hitting deer, and it also coincides with daylight savings. But I don't think the two are related. A permanent move to daylight savings time would reduce the crashes by about 1.7%. According to the study, it would prevent about 2,000 human injuries, 33 human deaths, and $1.19 billion in damages each year. Okay, so it's a very small percentage, but a very large number of sure. uh, in terms of that. I think there is something to when you're driving home at 4.30 and it's dark. Or 5, yeah. five what? When you get done with work at 5, so you're driving home at like 5.10, somewhere around there. It's that adjustment period it's, that gets people into trouble. Well, it's that adjustment period. Also, it's dark out more. I'm If, if I'm driving home when it's light out and I get home, I'm home. It's, it's, it's light out. It's easier to drive home in the light. Yeah. We just solved daylight savings. Pass the bill. Nailed it. You got two months.